Again, good morning. It's great to see everybody. Uh, we are uh, kicking off a new uh, sermon series called Acts of the Holy Spirit. We just started it last week, and so we're going to continue in that series. Before we uh, press on in Acts this morning, I did want to just remind you of a couple of things. One is, as we go through this series, we're not actually going to be looking at every verse together in Acts. Um, we're going to be looking at particular key verses from each reading. And so what that means, and what I want to encourage you and really invite you to do, is to read Acts on your own. And so we put a reading plan on the website. You can go to ApostlesHouston.org uh, and click on Acts of the Holy Spirit right there on the front page, and it will take you uh, to not only a reading plan that you can follow daily readings in Acts, and so that'll help you get context for what we're talking about on Sundays, but it also has some other resources listed there that'll be very helpful, some great books uh, about Acts and about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to check those things out. But we're going to continue in our series this morning on Acts. Um, and I'm excited for us to do this, to explore Acts together, because um, really Acts is telling this incredible story of the earliest years uh, of the church after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so as we look at Acts, it gives us this really beautiful and powerful and compelling picture of what life was like, this vibrant, growing, healthy, spirit-filled church on mission for Jesus. And I think as, as a young church, as a relatively new church plant, um, we are, have some things that we share in common um, with this new church that we discover in Acts. And one of those things is the fact that I, I think so many of us have had a similar powerful and personal encounter with Jesus, and it's changed us, and it's changed us, and it's given us this deep hunger, and we want more of God, and so in that way, I think Acts can be a guidebook of sorts for us, for the church. In other words, it's not mere history. We shouldn't read it as just what happened back then. The reality is that Acts is just as much about the present and the future. It's about what God has promised to his church, to us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, for the sake of his mission, and for his glory. So I'm excited for us to press into the message of Acts because it is as much for us today as it was for them in those first days of the church as we seek to join God in his mission. Um, so last week we started by looking at Acts chapter 1, and we focused on verse 8 uh, of chapter 1. And I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go back and listen online because what we said is that verse really is, it's like the anchor verse for the entire book of Acts. It's the theme verse for Acts, because what it reveals is Jesus' words to these early disciples, and what it says is uh, that this, the purpose of this life for you as followers of Jesus really is to be witnesses of my kingdom across all kinds of political and economic and racial and cultural boundaries, because God has a plan for the good news of his kingdom to go out by the empowering personal presence of his Holy Spirit to the very ends of the earth. And so Jesus says, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So we talked about that last week. And the reality is that this, prom this promise of, of the power of the Holy Spirit coming for the sake of witness and for the plan, for the mission of Jesus, wasn't just for them. It's for us as followers of Jesus as well. It's for you and me. Because every follower of Jesus throughout all of history is called to the same mission. We're all called to this mission. So every follower of Jesus then has received this same promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit. You have received the promise 
of the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus. And I wonder how that makes you feel to know that, to know that you have received the very personal and empowering presence of God, the God that we worship this morning, the God of the universe, the God who created all things and created you. His presence is within you. How does that make you feel when you let that sink in? I imagine these early disciples had a lot of responses and a lot of emotions when Jesus told them. He made them this promise. They must have felt excited, nervous, eager, uncertain, a whole slew, a whole range of things that I think we feel, too, often when we talk about the Holy Spirit. But whatever they felt, I think what they were wondering was maybe the same thing that we're wondering, which is, what does this promise mean, Jesus? What is this promise of the power of the Holy Spirit coming? What does that promise mean? What is it going to look like? What's the presence of God in our lives going to mean? How do we receive this incredible promise, this gift? And it's interesting because actually Jesus told them how to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He told them in Luke 24, 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city, he said, in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And so you can imagine uh, this group of disciples. We're told there's about 120 of them. And they received this promise, and they've been told to wait in the city, and so they gather in this upper room. And you can just imagine having seen Jesus himself raised from the dead, walking among them, teaching them about the ways of the kingdom, and now giving them this incredible gift, this promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends and says, I'm sending you out on this incredible mission. They must have been incredibly excited. I imagine they were just pumped, right? They were so pumped about this incredible journey, this adventure they were about to enter into, even without fully understanding what was going to happen. They must have been incredibly excited. And so what does Jesus say? As he's got them all revved up, all ready to go. Here's the promise. It's coming. Get ready. And what does Jesus say? He says, wait. <laughs> he says, get ready, get ready, get ready. And wait. And wait. I was thinking about this a week. I imagine it was something like Jesus. This is like Jesus giving this awesome pregame locker speech, right? And getting the team all revved up. They're all pumped up. We're going to take the field. We're going to win this battle. This is going to be an amazing game. You guys ready? And right as they're super pumped, as they're at their peak, he says, all right, I want you to sit down and take your pads off and wait. Wait, Jesus says. It's so strange. If you think about it, we know what comes next. We know what comes in 10 days. So we miss this, I think. But it's very important, I think, in the process for us as we ask this question, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? And so these early disciples, they waited. They waited, as Jesus told them. For about 10 days, they waited. And Acts 1.14 tells us what they did as they waited. It says that all of them, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All of them, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. That's what it meant for them to wait. Now, when we hear the word wait, I think uh, we think along the lines of inactivity, right? When we think of wait, we think we're sitting in the doctor's office, or we're waiting in the line of DMV. We're waiting to catch a flight somewhere. There's this place of in-between kind of inactivity. There's nothing happening. We can't move forward. We're kind of stuck, or maybe at best we're kind of resting. It's this place of kind of passivity when we think about waiting. 
But as we'll see, waiting on the Spirit is anything but passive. It's anything but inactive. To wait, in fact, is an act of faith. You see, when God makes a promise, he doesn't mean that there's not a role. There's not something for us to do in the process of fulfilling that promise. In fact, to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit is to prepare for the eventual reality that God will come in power in our lives. So if we want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to learn how to wait on the Spirit. So that's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want us to ask this question. What does it mean to wait on the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to wait on the Holy Spirit? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. First, to wait on the Spirit is to pursue the Lord in prayer. To wait on the Spirit is to pursue the Lord in prayer. Acts 1.14 tells us that after Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come in power, his followers didn't just sit around, right? Uh, it wasn't their chance to squeeze in another game of Fortnite or to do some online shopping. It wasn't a chance to kind of go home and catch up on other things. Hey, text me when the Holy Spirit gets there. That was not the reality. They were actively waiting. They were gathered in this upper room, and they were doing it by praying. They were actively praying, and they were told they prayed day after day after day, continually in prayer together. You know, prayer, I think in the church, it gets a lot of lip service. I know it has in my life at different points. I think most followers of Jesus, um, we would all say, oh, prayer is so important to our life as followers of Christ. But the reality is that many of us experience prayer in a way that seems insignificant or inconsistent or lacks any kind of power in our life. And some of us, you know, I think, struggle to understand why, why pray at all? Like, why is it so critical that I pray? After all, if God is God, he knows everything. He's in control of everything. Why pray? I mean, if God is good and God is generous, then won't God and shouldn't God just give me what I need? Why, why should I have to ask for God to give me the things that I need? Why, in other words, is pursuing God in prayer necessary at all? It's interesting. In Isaiah 30, 18 and 19, it says this. It says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show you mercy. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. In other words, God says your pursuit of him in prayer is absolutely necessary. For God, it's important that we ask for the things that he already knows that we need. That may sound strange, but for some reason, the way that God has set things up, he wants us to honor him and, and glorify him by recognizing he's the one that we have to actually come to and humbly ask for the things that we need. And so we come to God, we pursue God in prayer, and we ask simply and honestly for the things that we need. Our petitions, in other words, they're, they're the means by which God gives us the things that, we, that he knows we already need. And so we pray, we pursue God in prayer, and we pursue the Holy Spirit in prayer because we need his spirit. God has promised us the Holy Spirit. But we need to ask him for the Holy Spirit. 
And I, I wonder, have you ever actually done that? Have you ever actually asked God to give you this promised gift of the Holy Spirit? We talked about this last week. We all have the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is talking about something more, this power, this infilling, this baptism, whatever you want to call it, clothed in power. He says, there is more that I want to give you. And we receive that promise by asking. Sam Storms in Practicing the Power, a great book that I've recommended to you, he says this, it's both presumptuous and disobedient on our part to assume that God will bestow all his gifts and then neglect or refuse to pray based on that assumption. Of course, God on occasion bestows gifts on us even in the absence of our asking. But we must never assume that God will give us apart from prayer what he has promised in scripture to give us in response to our prayers. See, in praying, we are given this incredible opportunity, aren't we? This opportunity to express our desire for the things that God wants to give us. And that's a beautiful thing. It's good for us, and it glorifies the Lord. God's promises are received then when we pursue him in prayer. James 4.2 says it this way. You don't have because you do not ask. And so what I want to ask, is it possible if we are lacking power in, in the Holy Spirit, is it possible that that's because we have not asked for the very thing that God has promised and longs to give us? And so we need to ask, God, you promised your Holy Spirit. We want your Holy Spirit. We want more of this incredible gift. And will you fill us with your power? And so maybe today the starting point for you is simply to ask. Ask Jesus Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Pursue him in prayer and ask for the things he's promised. Second, to wait on the Spirit is to pray with expectation. To wait on the Spirit is to pray with expectation. These 120 followers of Jesus were told about here, they had no idea how to wait, how long they were going to have to wait. We, we know that because we know how the story unfolds, but they had no idea. Jesus said, someday out there, the Holy Spirit's going to come. They had no idea how long this was going to go on. And their response was to pray. And not just to pray, but to be prepared to pray until it was clear that God had fulfilled his promise. They prayed with a genuine expectancy. I would say um, that just about every follower of Jesus I know uh, would say, yes, God heals. That even God would heal someone today. I think most followers of Jesus, if not all, would affirm that in some way. Um, and yet, I also think that fewer Christians, if we're really honest, actually expect him to. And then even fewer followers of Jesus that I've known in my life actually would lay hands on someone who is sick and pray, as we're instructed to do, both by the model of Jesus and by the words in the New Testament, and pray with a degree of expectancy that that person would be healed. And I would say that there's a reason for that. There's probably many reasons for that um, kind of gap between a believing that God heals and then actually praying with expectancy. And I think part of the challenge is that we have this confusion about expectancy and presumption. We confuse those two things, but there is a difference it's presumptuous to claim healing without God's revelatory warrant or without this understanding of the, the word of God that it promises that God heals.
but in his way and his time. We pray that way, but we pray expectantly. You know, I've encountered people who have prayed um, in, in a way that it's almost as if um, they're commanding God <laughs> to do something. And that's not what Jesus invites us to do. Because when that happens, invariably, it's someone's fault, right? If healing doesn't happen, that means there's a lack of faith on your part, which is incredibly harmful and not true. Or we kind of blame it on some other phenomenon. But the reality is that this whole name it, claim it approach to praying in the power of the Spirit presumes that the, the, the thing that actually is critical is just that you have enough faith. And if you have enough faith, then God will do whatever you want. And that is a huge mistake. And it's incredibly hurtful in this guy because while God moves in powerful ways in response to our prayers, it is only when it is in accordance with his will, not our will. So instead of being presumptuous, God invites us to pray expectantly, to come with humility in view of God's mercy. We, we pray in the spirit of Jesus who healed people because he loved them, because he looked out on the crowds and he had compassion on those who needed healing and deliverance. And so we pray in the spirit of Jesus, not because we have some power that we possess, but because of God's power to do these incredible things through his spirit and through his church. It's his power to save, his power to deliver and to heal. And so God invites all of us to pray with expectancy. It's not just for the ordained people. It's not just for kind of the spiritual superheroes out there. There is no special lingo. There's no special secret school of prayer. There's no particular movement out there that has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. It is for all of us. It is for the people of God, this promise of God, to give the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ought to pray expectantly for things like healing and for wisdom and for the salvation of our neighbors and of our city. You know, for the past few months, um, many of you have been praying for uh, Lena and Tim Pluta's uh, baby boy, Timothy. Um, and I thought of him a lot uh, this week when I was thinking about just what God has given us in this opportunity to pray to him expectantly in the power of the Spirit. Um, if you don't know, Lena was admitted to the hospital um, uh, about halfway through her pregnancy. Uh, and when she was admitted, um, there were complications, and basically the doctors told her, that she should prepare um, for the fact that she was going to lose this baby. They told her that. Uh, and so um, several of you visited her. I was able to visit her, and, and I just, we just prayed. And we prayed with expectation. We prayed expectantly that God and his power would save and would heal and would deliver this baby, and we prayed that way. And then um, things got better, and then actually she gave birth to the baby very early, um, about 16 weeks premature. He was like two pounds, I think. Um, and so uh, we continue to pray. Many of you were praying for baby Timothy. You've been praying for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you've been praying with the expectation that God would heal this little baby. And I remember Mike, uh, Father Reddy, you know, Timothy's grandfather, he, he pulled me aside one Sunday and he said, look, he said, he said the doctors, they, they came to me and they told me there's no reason this baby should be alive. We don't understand it. We don't understand what's happened here. And so we prayed, and we continued to pray. And last Sunday night, baby Timothy came home. Praise God. Praise God. We, we pray with the expectation that God will hear our prayers. And God does hear our prayers. And he chooses to answer them in accordance to his will and his goodness and his faithfulness and his love for us. 
Now, saying that, I know all too well the pain of praying with expectancy and not receiving the miracle, of not seeing God do what you ask him to do. And that's difficult, and many of you know that pain as well. And what I would say is part of the challenge for us is that we have to live this life as followers of Jesus in this tension, right? There's a tension between God's goodness and God's sovereignty. What I mean by that is that we have to believe that God is good and that he loves us and he loves to give good gifts to us as his children. But we also have to hold in tension with that, that God is sovereign. And we have to trust that he is not to be manipulated or swayed in any way from his divine and perfect purposes in this world, in this broken world. And so the purposes of God may be impossible for us to understand. We may not see them or understand them in this lifetime, in this world marred by sin. But in such a world, God still invites us to pray boldly and with expectancy and to ask him to do these things for us, regardless of the outcome. We believe that. And so we pray. We pray with expectancy. And then finally, to wait on the Holy Spirit is to pray together, to pray together. So often we think of prayer as this individual kind of discipline. But look in verse 14. Acts 1.14 tells us that these 120 followers of Jesus, they were all together all together in one accord. Not only were they pursuing God in prayer and with expectancy, they did so together and in unity. Jesus, when he was teaching on unity among his followers, he said, if two of you agree on, on something, anything concerning anything you ask, he said, then it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That doesn't mean our individual prayers are ineffective or don't matter, but what it does mean, what Jesus does seem to suggest is that there's some particular power to our prayers when we pray together, when we come together as the body of Christ and we pray in one accord. And so I think there's something really powerful and beautiful going on here in the fact that they weren't just praying, they were praying together and they were unified in the purpose of their prayer. You know, twice a year, we offer a, a prayer training here at Apostles. And our next one is going to be just after the new year. And I, I want you to just make a mental note because I'd love for you to participate in that training. We do that training um, because Jesus taught that prayer is a skill that we learn. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, how did, I can never pray like so-and-so. I, I, I don't know how to pray. You learn how to pray. The disciples said, teach us, Lord, how to pray. And so we believe that. And so we want to learn how to pray. And so we have these training times and we, we, we know that it's true because in any relationship, any, any level of communication, you learn how to communicate with people. And you learn how to communicate with God and how to pray. And so we take time to learn how to pray uh, together. And while every member of the prayer team attends these trainings, it's not just for them. And this is important to me. It's not just for the prayer team that we do the prayer trainings. We do these prayer trainings because we believe that we are all called to be a people who pray for one another. And so my hope is that at some point in the future, every single person in this room today will have been through that prayer training. And this is why. So that at any point when you encounter any person in this room who is in need of prayer, you have the confidence to pray, to pursue the Lord, to pray with expectancy, to come together and agree in prayer for one another. It's great to go to the prayer team. But what if we were the prayer team? (laughs) 
right? What if we were praying for each other that way? What if we were a community marked by prayer? And so that's why we do these trainings, because we long to see God at work in our prayers. And we want to come together in agreement in accordance with his will and pray together to pursue him with expectancy. And so that's my hope, that we would really lean into this idea of praying together and pray with one accord. And so as we do that, um, I think one of the things that will happen um, is that we'll not only pray more together, we'll praise more together. Because you see what happens is when you begin to pray and intercede for each other, when you come together as a community and pray, when we gather here and we pray on Sunday mornings, we have that special time where we can give and voice to the things that we want God to do in our midst and give thanks to him. That's an opportunity for us to encourage each other, to give praise to God. I, I mean, just this week, I was talking with a member of our congregation, and he was explaining to me how he experienced a healing when he was a child, a radical healing in his life. And it gave me faith, encouraged my faith. It, it drew me closer to Jesus, and it glorified God because he shared the way that God had answered a prayer that was offered in expectancy. And some of you in this room, you have stories. You could stand up right now, and you could tell stories of how the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life, big ways and small ways. But those stories are important, and we ought to give God praise by sharing those stories with each other. And so I just want to encourage you, in that time where we have to pray, I know sometimes it feels a little bit intimidating to pray out loud in a room like this. But it is for God's glory. It's not about us. It gives us the chance to come to him as he's invited us to do as the people of God and to pray to him. But it also builds up and encourages the body as we pray together in one accord, as we agree and bring these things before the Lord together. So I want to encourage you, just as we press into this uh, posture of prayer together as a community, to pursue God. God offers this promise, and he says, now pursue it. Ask for it. Ask for the Holy Spirit in your life. Pray with expectancy. Pray knowing that it is, it is God's sovereign will. Pray knowing that it is God's pleasure to give good gifts, but pray with expectancy that God will answer our prayers. And then let's pray together. Let's be a community that prays. If we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit come in our community, come in our city, then we have to be a people of prayer. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, what an incredible promise that the power of the living God, the very presence of God himself has been poured out on his church. And Lord, we want to step into that promise. Lord, we all are indwelt by your Holy Spirit, but Lord, we want more. In the same way that we want to know you more and be with you more and become like you more and do the things that you've done. We want more of that, and that comes by the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would fill us, that you would fill this community, and that you would send us out as witnesses to the very ends of the earth for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me invite you to stand. We're going to affirm our faith together um, by saying these words of the Nicene Creed. Let's say this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. 
even one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise, Lord, for the great news of Jesus, that he came for us out of his great love for us, that he laid down his life, that he rose from the dead, and that he has given us this incredible gift of your Holy Spirit. And so in, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we just come before you. And Lord, we lay hold of the promise that you've made us, that if we ask, God, you will hear our prayers and you will answer them according to your goodness and your faithfulness and according to your plan. And so just now, I invite you to bring the needs uh, in your own life or the needs of your neighbor before the Lord in prayer. You can do that either silently or aloud. Just bring these before the Lord.
Heavenly Father, we continue to give you thanks and praise for, uh, for Alpha. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you are drawing people to yourself and Lord, just creating space for your Holy Spirit to be at work in people's lives. Lord, we pray that they would um, just know your love for them and continue, Lord, in their journey, uh, that you would draw them nearer to Christ. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you're at work seen and unseen in our lives. Lord, I pray for those this morning that um, have wounds that are um, invisible uh, to the eye, but that are deep and need your healing. Lord, we just thank you that you heal uh, all kinds of wounds in our life. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would, you would be the God who heals this morning in our midst. Lord, that we would hear your word to us. We would know your compassion toward us and that we would be made whole in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.